So y'all are excited to be here. Thanks, sir. Luke chapter 3, let's, uh, let's pray before we start. Father, we love you, God. We thank you today for your mercies and your blessings that are new every morning, God. As we come today to, uh, to hear your word, we come to, to read what you've uh, inspired for us, God. We uh, are looking at, uh, at the, the son that you've sent to take, uh, to take our sin upon himself, God, and we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, would come, Spirit, and that you would, um, that you would just fill our hearts today, and that you would apply this word to us as we, uh, as we read your word, as we uh, uh, meditate on your word, and as we hear your voice through your word. We thank you for that, God. And we just ask you to be with the rest of the services that are going to be held today. That you be with us during Sunday school. That you, uh, that you come and just flood this place with. Uh, uh, with uh, growth today, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of you and that we would be conformed to your, the image of your Son. We thank you for that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 3, we've left off in uh, uh, verse 14 last time, and so we're going to pick up in verse 15 and probably go through, uh, I don't know, uh, 20, 22, 23, right in there somewhere. Uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy and Le- Leviticus, it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses... Uh, a thing is going to be established. And today what we're going to see is as we come, we're coming right upon the cusp of Jesus beginning his ministry. Um, in, in, uh, he's going to begin his ministry in actually Luke chapter uh, 4 when he uh, starts with the temptations in the wilderness and then he's going to begin preaching and we're going to look at all that. Uh, but today, right before, he go, right before we go into that, uh, what we're going to see is there are two or three witnesses right here in this text that are going to testify as to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. You're going to see the three that we're going to look at are John the Baptist, of course. He's going to be testifying. We looked at his, some of his preaching last week as he was preaching a baptism for repentance, calling people to come into the faith uh, of, uh, of God, call, calling people to come into the people of God by repenting and, and trusting in the Savior that is going to come. Um, we're going to see some more of his testimony of who Jesus is, but we're also going to see the testimony of the Spirit of God uh, as Jesus comes and submits himself to baptism. And we're going to see the testimony of the Father himself who speaks about his pleasure with his Son. And so what you're going to see today, I'll go ahead and give you where we're going. That way you'll understand how it applies to you. What we're going to see is we're going to get a picture of who this Jesus is. This Who are we supposed to be proclaiming? The testimony of John the Baptist as he comes and he brings forth uh, who this Jesus is. The one who is to come in John's mind who is to come, but the one for us who has all Already came the one who has come and given himself on the cross and ra- ra- raised from the dead. Um, he is going to show us what we are to be testifying to. A lot of times we have uh, this picture of Jesus like he is, um, I don't know, some kind of uh, flower power guru love guy that uh, is just okay with everything and you know it, you just do what you want to do and he's okay with however you want to get there and however you want to come and obey him however you want to come and follow him it's just all up to you it's your kind of thing you know just do it uh, John is not going to present that kind of Jesus and if John were here to preach to you this morning he would probably run about half of you off I would imagine and so today we're going to look at what he says about this Jesus now remember where we left off 
John is, uh, he's preaching, he's preaching repentance. The people are being cut to their heart. They're saying, what do we need to do? You tell us what we need to do. The last three verses we read last week, uh, he, he addressed three different kind of people. In general, he said, he said, you know, you guys need to do this. And if you're a, a tax collector, a publican, he said, you need to do this to bring forth the fruits of repentance. If you're a soldier, you need to do this. He gave us those kind of three, those three things. And to be honest, he is preaching repentance and he is applying it directly to their lives. This is not just some theology that's pie in the sky up there, you know, things we need to believe. These are things that he is applying to them uh, about how you are to present the fruits of repentance, how, how repentance changes your life. And so what we're going to see is this is, I mean, this guy, nobody has ever seen anything like him. He is, we talked about this before, and the angel prophesied when he came to John's father and said, this baby that you're going to have, John the Baptist, he's going to be called the prophet of the Most High. Well, none of these people in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the first century, at the time John came, none of them had ever seen a prophet of God. There had been no prophet of God for 400 years. Uh, Malachi was the last one, and then it was like, There was nothing for 400 years. And all of a sudden, here comes John stepping out of the wilderness. He's got his camel hair deal going. He's eating his wow honey and he's talking like nobody had ever talked before. They were they were well versed in religion. They had the temple practices down. They knew the prayers. They knew that what they were supposed to do, but they'd never seen anybody like John. And God was speaking through John. It wasn't as if John was just showing them the way saying, you know, well, he was showing them the way, but it wasn't as if just John was saying, okay, guys, this is really what we need to do. Let's all get together and let's try to work this out the best way that we can. He was speaking forth the words of God. He was Uh, bold. He was holy. He had separated himself from the world. You can see all these things. And so these people had never seen anything like this. And John became kind of famous. He was kind of famous. People were going out into the wilderness. They were going out toward the Jordan to see this, this event that was going on, to see John's preaching, to hear what he had to say. And they were cut to the heart as God was working through him. So naturally, since they had never seen anything like this, they start to think this guy must be our Messiah. This guy must be the one that we're waiting for. In verse 15, it says, as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, they start seeing him as, you know, we've never, he's the best, he's the best, uh, he's the best guy, the best, uh, um, man, what am I looking for? He, he's the best applicant that we have. For Messiah so far, we've never seen anything like him. All we've had so far is religious stuff. All we've had is priests and, and, and teachers and doctors of the law and these, these guys that are telling us what we need to do and how we need to live, giving us 600 some odd laws that we need to follow. And, and, and you follow the law and God will be pleased with you and you do this and do that and God will be pleased with you. And here comes the prophet of God speaking the words of God. His message was simply repent. Repent of your sin and come and prove that repentance by showing fruit that is uh, is indicative of that repentance. And you come and you be baptized for that repentance, for the remission of your sin. Understand you're in need. And so they they are quickened to the heart. The Holy Spirit speaking through John and they start to think, you know, 
This guy probably is the Messiah. He's probably the one that we're waiting for. I mean, nobody has done anything like this up until now. This is probably him. Well, John is not going to let that stand very long. First thing he he does when he starts to realize that people are looking at him as the Messiah, he starts to lift up the name of Jesus. And that's what you and I are called to do. We're called to uh, lift up the name of Christ, both in our speech in our actions, in our life, in, in the places that we go, the things that we do, everything about us as witnesses of Christ, just as John was a testimony to the Christ that was to come, we are to be a testimony of Christ, of who he is and what he has done. Everything about us is to be a testimony of Christ and who he is and what he has done. One of the hardest things it is for uh, believers to... Um, to deal with is when they fail and we all fail and we all sin. And you realize in your mind, you know, sometimes it's easy for us just to kick the can down the road and say, Hey, you know, I just messed up today. That's just what happens. You know, all those things that that just kind of, that's human nature. That's what we do. Uh, But the reality is when I sin, when I fail, when I go on my own direction, when I choose independence from God's will, rather than obeying God's will, I am making Christ look bad. I am giving him, I am testing Testifying that he is not worthy of my allegiance. He is not worthy of my obeisance. He's not worthy of me to follow him. When I, when I go in my own direction and say, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm not going to worry about it today. I'm not going to get, I am telling the people that are looking at me, the ones who are watching me, your family, your friends, your neighbors, the people that are around you, I'm telling them Jesus is not enough. He's not good enough. He's not worthy enough for me to follow. Now, we all have a sin problem. We all have the flesh that we're dealing with. So I'm not saying, hey, you better be perfect or you're going to make Christ look bad. But what I'm saying is when you have been born again and your heart has been changed, that should factor into your thinking. It should pain you. It should pain you to realize that sin is not just a little bitty bitty deal. It's not just a small little thing that happens in all shucks. We just need to do a little better. It's something that pains us because it, it, um, it, it puts a stain on the character of God in the minds of people that see us. And so John is not going to stand for this, this thing where they're saying, well, this might be the Messiah. Let's look. He is going to testify to who Jesus is. And the first thing he's going to say, he's going to testify in three ways. I'm going to show you these three ways. And then we're going to look at God himself's testimony to who the son is. The first thing he's going to say is that Jesus is infinitely worthy. He is a lot more worthy than you and I can ever imagine. He's a lot more valuable than it, than we could ever even begin to uh, begin to compare. Uh, he says in verse 16, he says, I'm going to read 16 and 17. It says, John answered. He answered when he heard or when he figured out that they were saying, hey, this might be the Messiah right here. John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one, he says, mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so he says, he says in verse 16, he says, first of all, he says, the one that's coming is much mightier than I. He is much greater than I. He is much more worthy than I. Now, if you and John the Baptist were in a worthiness contest, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, but you're going to lose. 
You, you hadn't done as good as John. He, he was chosen by God from the womb to be the forerunner of the Messiah. The Bible says in Luke, we've already read it in chapter 1, it says he was prophesied that he would be filled with the Spirit from the womb. He would be separated from the world. He, he didn't get involved in, the, in the, the politics and the religion and all that. That's why he went out and lived in the wilderness until he came, uh, came preaching the baptism of re- repentance. He was separated from God. He was holy to the Lord. He wasn't sinless. We see that even in this gospel, but he was holy to the Lord and he had, he was dedicated to the mission that God had put him on. He was chosen of God for that mission. He uh, was separated from the world. What else was it? He was, um, even Jesus said in this gospel right here, later on, he's going to say, you know, uh, of men who have been born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. He's going to say that and he's going to say, but the one who is called least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So if you want to put your life uh, as far as how good you're doing today, whether, you know, you can count your sins up or whether you can say, am I, am I doing what Jesus, am I, am I bringing glory to his name uh, with the things that I do, my, the ministry that I'm called to? And yes, if you're a believer, you are called to a ministry. Uh, is it, am I doing as good as John was doing? I can tell you right now that none of us are. But yet John even says, look, I'm not worthy as much as as much as we would look at John and say, oh, he's he's doing all kind of stuff that I'm not doing. He's doing so well. He is. He's God's man. He's standing fast in front of all these Pharisees. He's going to end up losing his head because he was preaching the gospel uh, to the the rulers, Herod and all those. Uh, But he says, if you would put John up next to you, I would say if I'm looking at myself, John's a whole lot more worthy than I am. He's a whole lot more worthy. I mean, he's still a sinner, still sinful, just like you and I, but he's doing so much better than me. Yet he says, look, I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy enough to unlatch his sandal. I'm not worthy enough to take his shoe off. And we've heard that many times before. Uh, back in the first century, a rabbi would get students around him and his students would follow him around and they would uh, imitate his teachings. They would learn from him. They would do those things. And they would do the acts of service that m- most servants would usually do for their master. But there's one thing that they would not do. And you can see this. I can show you some quotes from old Jewish rabbis that said this was not allowed. You would not mess with their feet. That's a servant's job. That's a slave's job. That's too demeaning. That's too degrading. Uh, you can make, if you're a rabbi, you can make your students do, you know, all kind of things for you, but you're not allowed to make them, me- let them mess with your feet. That's too gross. In the first century, nobody's wearing Nikes, you know. Nobody's wearing uh, sweat-proof socks or gold bomb powder in their shoes. It's, all, it's pretty nasty, okay. And you're walking around on dirt roads and you got sandals on, open-toed, if you walk to, I don't know, from Jericho to Jerusalem or, or wherever, your feet got pretty gross. I mean, it's just pretty nasty. And so you would get a servant. You would get a slave. You would get somebody. It was usually reserved for the lowest of the low to clean somebody's feet when they came in. If a guest came in your house, you would usually have a servant or a slave that would come and that would clean feet. That's it's pretty nasty. It's a pretty nasty job. And I would imagine nobody wanted to do it. John here says, look. I am not even worthy to clean the nasty feet of the one who is coming. I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, we've heard that before and you understand that, but I need you to understand what that means for you and me. 
A lot of times Christ calls us to service. He calls us to love those who are unlovable. He calls us to, to witness to him. He calls us to live lives that testify to who Jesus is. And sometimes it makes us feel like we're lowly. Sometimes we say things like, I'm not doing that. Forget that. That's too demeaning. I mean, I, I'm not lowering myself to that. I, I'll be happy to go and, you know, if you want me to teach a class, that's fine. I'll do that. If you want me to sing a song, that's fine. I'll do that. But this, you know, I, I'm not cleaning the toilets for Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean they, they get somebody else to do that. You know, you can see it even around uh, church buildings, not just this one, but any other ones. You know, people will say, you know, I, I'm I'm here to I'm here to instruct the people on whatever. And I'm, I'm here to I'm here to sing my song. I'm here to praise, you know. But when it when you walk down the hall and you see a big piece of paper in the hallway, like, I'm not picking that up. That's not my job. You know, I'm not I'm not demeaning myself for that. You and I need to understand what John's saying here. It's only by the grace of God that you are worthy to clean the toilets for Jesus. It's only by the grace of God that he allows us to serve. So there's no room for me saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm way too good. I'm way past the point of doing that kind of service. I'm going to do the service that makes me feel good. I'm way past the point of doing the service that actually hurts, you know, when, when things don't go the way I'm supposed to and it, and it hurts my heart and, and, and people are not what they're supposed to be. And I end up stretching myself out and I end up getting hurt all the time. I'm not putting myself in position to do that anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this over here. When all my talents, all my gifts, all my callings is over here somewhere else. You and I need to understand it is only by God's grace that you are allowed to serve Jesus in any manner, in any way. John says, look, he is so much more worthy than I. They were trying to make John the Messiah. He's so much more worthy than I. I am not even worth doing the very lowest, nastiest, demeaning thing you could possibly imagine. I don't deserve to do that. I don't deserve to be able to serve him in any way, shape, or capacity. He's saying he is much more worthy. Do people see that in your life? Do they see that in our lives when we testify just by our actions? I'm not talking about going out on the street corner and raising up your Bible and, and hollering to the crowd. That's a fine thing to do. But I'm talking about when you go to work. When you go to school, when you interact with your neighbors, when you act with your family, do people see the fact that you are willing to serve the one who you call king in any way, shape or form that he has for you to serve? And not only do you serve this one that you call king in any way, shape or form, but you realize that it is a blessing and a grace of God that you're allowed to do so. It's not just, oh, Jesus, proud of me. I've done good. I mean, pfft. He can't get along without me today because of my service is so high up. No, it's a grace of God. And what that does is that brings us to humility, understanding we should be thankful that he allows us to take the latches off his sandals or clean whatever or do the service that always ends up in pain when, when things don't happen the way that we think they should. We should be grateful and thankful. We should come in here today as believers and we should be worshiping and thanksgiving that he, by his grace, would allow us to be part of his kingdom and to serve him. He is worthy. He is so much more worthy than we could possibly imagine. The second thing John says is that his ministry, Jesus's ministry, is absolutely necessary. John says, look, you guys thinking I'm the Messiah? Uh, I'm sorry. 
all I can really do is the outward stuff. I can baptize you with water. I can come and I can call you to repentance. But the one that's coming, the one who is the Messiah, his ministry is the one that you have to have if you're going to be saved. If you're going to be delivered from the wrath of God, if you're going to be delivered from your sin, you have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what he says in verse uh, 16. John answered and said to you, look, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I come, whose latch into the shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You need to understand, only Jesus can address your real problem. Only he can. John is a prophet of God. He's preaching in the wilderness. He's calling people to repent. But he cannot fix the inside. You cannot fix what's inside. Your Sunday school teacher, your preacher, the evangelist, the the guy that your spiritual mentor, whoever it is, they can't fix you. They can't teach you the right way to live in order to make you pleasing to God. They can't instruct you in how to change your behavior so that it more, more fits along the lines that God is going to accept you. Yes, we need instruction. Yes, we need teaching. Yes, we need to understand. Yes, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to this is my Messiah, the one who is making me right with God, only Jesus can do that. You can't reform your behavior and expect that that's going to be pleasing to God. John would come. You'd come to him and say, John, what do I do? I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm under the wrath of God. I don't know what I can do. John would say, he said before, repent of your sin and be baptized for the remission of your sin. Remember, it wasn't Christian baptism. It was John uh, int- introducing them into the kingdom of God using this Gentile baptismal washing thing that the Jews used to bring proselytes into the kingdom. That was all last week. You better get the recording. I ain't going to explain it to you again. He was, he was telling them, You have to produce the fruits of repentance. And if you and I understand our own hearts, I can't. I can't produce the fruits of repentance that make me perfect before God. I can reform the outside. I can reform my behavior. I can, I can change the way I, I act. You know, I can change the way that I do things on the outside. But in order for me to be right before God, something supernatural has to happen. You must be born again. You can't just say, you can't just say, you know what? He's right. Wow. I got lots of things wrong with me. I got lots of sins. I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. I'm going to change today. When I walk out those doors, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm never going to be the same again. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to, Hey, that's wonderful though. That's great. But to make you acceptable with the one true and holy living God, you have to be born from above. You have to be born again. You have to be indwelt by the spirit. And the only one who can do that is Christ. The only one who can do that is Jesus. You call out upon him. It's not whether you're going to accept him today. It's whether he is going to accept you. You call out upon him in, uh, in repentance and faith. And he said he will baptize you in the spirit and with fire. And we know that that was fulfilled completely and perfectly at Pentecost. When they uh, were all there and uh, the spirit descended upon them in tongues as a fire. And, and they, began to, they began to preach the gospel to all these people that had come to Jerusalem. In that one moment, 
These disciples of Jesus were, they went from being cowards. They went from hiding from the authorities. They went from not really understanding the whole ramifications of what had happened. They went from, they went from worried about what's going to happen from in that one moment when the spirit baptized them, so to speak, they went from cowards cowering in the corner to mighty preachers of God who are willing to stand up in front of anybody and risk their very lives to preach Jesus. You can see the change. Peter denied Jesus in front of a slave girl and other people that didn't really matter. And then yet in Acts chapter four, you see Peter and John stand before the most powerful religious people in the entire uh, in the entire region and say, I don't care what you say. Whether it's right to obey you or God, you, you figure that out, but we're going to keep on preaching. I mean, you can see the change. It's a supernatural one. And so John is telling them, he's saying, look, I am not your Messiah. There's one greater than me that's coming. And this one, I can baptize you with water. I can go through the ritual with you. I can go through the outward signs with you. I can instruct you about what you need to do, but I can't change your heart. I can't change who you are. Only Christ can do that. Only Jesus can do that. I'm baptizing you with water. He's coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And understand, he says two things so far. He says, this Jesus is far more worthy than you and I can ever imagine. That's the testimony you and I should give to the world. That Jesus is more worthy. He's more worthy than my sin. He's more worthy than all the things the world wants me to chase after. He's more worthy when my coworkers come and they say, hey, let's go do this. And we know that it's not honoring to God. Our testimony should be Jesus is much more worthy than that. Jesus is much better than that. I'm not giving up caviar in order to go and eat a peanut butter sandwich. Jesus is much more worthy. The second thing you see is Jesus's ministry is necessary. You got to have it. You can't just reform your behavior. You can't just reform uh, the outside. So when when people see you and they say, you know, wow, you sure are a good person. You sure are living right. You can say, no, 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 no. Uh, it's not about the outside. It's about what Jesus has done in the inside of me. It's about what he has done by giving me his spirit and causing me to be born again. It's what Christ has done. His ministry is absolutely necessary. And the third thing that you and I need to see is the thing that's going to get you in trouble. Jesus is not the fuzzy bunny granddaddy in the sky who's okay with everything and it's all good. He is the righteous judge. So when you and I testify, and I'm not talking about just going out and preaching. I'm talking about when you go to your job and you testify by your life, you testifying, you need to testify just as John did, that Jesus is more worthy than all the little piddly things that are are trying to buy for our attention. He is, his ministry is necessary because only he can cause you to be born again. And the third thing is that there is a judgment coming. And that he is also the righteous judge that does not stand for sin. It says, John says, he said he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and, and with fire. Verse 17 says, his fan, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. And he will gather the wheat into his garner. But the chaff, he will burn with fire unquenchable. And so when it talks about his fan, he's talking about over and over again. You'll see it in scripture in different places. He's talking about the the instrument that they use to thresh grain. 
He's talking about the winnowing fork. They, if you look up winnowing about what they, you know, they do it with machines now. But back then, what you would do is when you would, uh, would, you would harvest your grain, you'd throw it all in the threshing floor. And you would, it would sit there in a big pile. And you would take this fork, this instrument, and you would thresh the grain. And the heavy grain would fall to the floor. And the chaff and the, the, the husks and all the, all the stuff that was unnecessary, it would be blown by the wind or cast off to the side. And it would be burned. And you would have the grain there. So what is the picture here is Jesus is going to come as a judge and he's going to separate his sheep and his goats. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate the grain from the chaff. His winnowing fork, his fan is already in his hand and he's ready to purge that floor. He's going to gather his wheat into his grain, his grain bin. He's going to gather his people to himself. But the chaff, the ones who are not his, they're going to be burned with fire unquenchable. They're going to be cast off into a lake of fire, which the presence of God is not going to dwell in for the, for all eternity. They're going to be punished. Now, that's a whole different subject, but you and I need to understand what he is saying here. Jesus is not just the flower power love guy that's going to sit with his legs crossed and burn incense with you and talk about the mysteries of the universe and how you can do better in your life. He is a righteous judge. Only his way is the way. Try that when you go, if you get a speeding ticket and you go to court and, uh, you know, you don't act like you ain't never got a speeding ticket. But if you go for a traffic violation or just something simple like that, you know, the judge calls your name. You go stand before the judge. He says you were you were clocked at, you know, 65 and a 55. He'll say, how do you plead? And if you're smart, you'll say guilty. You know, that's what I was doing. Uh, but. Try it one time. Say, you know what? I don't believe that the speed limit was 55. I believe the speed limit was actually 65 and I was doing right. The judge will look at his deal. He says, no, no, the speed limit on that road is actually 55. And you say, I I don't accept that. Well, guess what? (laughs) It don't matter what you accept. He's not going to care what your opinion is. He's not going to care what you think it should be. He's not going to care about anything you got to say. All he wants to know is, have you broken the law that is set? Jesus is the righteous judge. He came the first time to save the world because the world was condemned. He came the first time to pay for the sin of mankind. When he returns again, there won't be any second chances. He's coming as a righteous judge and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to separate, separate the wheat and the tear tears. And he is coming with his winnowing fork in his hand. He's coming with that fan it's talking about in his hand. And he is going to be ready to sift all those who would not bow the knee to Christ will certainly bow the knee to Christ in judgment. And so you and I need to understand that's the testimony of who Jesus is. What John is giving Jesus in your life, when you go and you go to work and you go in your family or wherever you're at, your life should mirror the fact that Jesus is more worthy than all this stuff. He's more worthy than everything. And it should mirror the fact when, when people say, you know, what's going on with you? How, how do you live like this? What, what's the secret? How, how is it that you're so happy all the time? How is it that you're able to deal with all these trials and tribulations where so many others would just fall by the wayside? You could say, Jesus' ministry 
has done this. He's changed my heart. It doesn't have anything to do with me. You know, I can be baptized with water. He said, but Christ has baptized me with his spirit and his spirit lives inside of me. And finally, you and I must, must warn people that Jesus is a judge and he's going to come as judge. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, I don't know if I'll be able to quote it perfectly, but it says there, Paul is preaching and he's saying, and there was times when God would wink at all this sin. But now he's appointed judgment by the one who he raised from the dead. It's Jesus who will bring this judgment. It's Jesus who will separate his people from all the others, the sheep from the goats. You and I, if we love people, if we are, um, if we are testifying to Christ, we must testify to the fact that he is a judge and that judgment is imminent. John had already told us the axe is at the tree. Don't just say that you can say I can get by because I'm Abraham's kid. He said the axe is at the tree and it's about to be cut down. Every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is a righteous judge. Now, I want to show you there's just this little part here uh, right as we go into um, into the next verse. Verse 18 He says, and many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. John preached continually preaching, lifting up Jesus. He says, but Herod, the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. John didn't just, you need to get this. John didn't just preach theology. He did preach theology, but that's not all that he did. The testimony of Christ, if your life is, gonna, is going to show forth the testimony, testimony of Christ, You and I have to call sin, sin. Do you see what John did? He wasn't just standing out in the wilderness going, Jesus is great. Jesus is God's son. He was doing all those things. But he wasn't just preaching theology. He was applying it to people's lives. It got him in trouble. It got him in a lot of trouble because he, he told Herod, Herod took his brother Philip's wife. And of course, that's adultery, fornication. You pick your sin. It was all in there mixed together. And John didn't just say, you know, Jesus is great, Herod. You need to come and be. He condemned the sin that was in Herod's life. He said, look, that right there is a sin. And he called sin, sin. And he was willing to go to prison for it even at the end of his life, he ended up losing his head for it. He was willing to call sin what it, what it, what it is. And you and I can't shy away, especially in today. Today, I mean, you're going to get in trouble. It's going to be a lot of things come against you. You start calling uh, homosexuality a sin and say you can't be living in sin like this and uh, embracing it and be a Christian. You start calling abortion sin. You start calling things that the society loves. You start calling that stuff sin. Guess what? You're going to get in trouble. You're going to face some consequences. You're going to face some things that probably are not going to be very good. He was ready to do that because it was the truth. He looked Herod right in the face and said, son, what you're doing is sin. The king, the tetrarch of the whole region, you are sinning when you're doing that. And Herod put him in jail for it. Herod Herod ended up taking his head for it. He was willing not only to lift up the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus, but he was willing to call what Jesus calls sin. He was willing to call it sin. He was willing to stand. It doesn't make any difference 
What happens to me doesn't make any difference what I have to go through. I'm going to stand for who Jesus is and what Jesus stands for. That's what John would say. That's the testimony of who Jesus is. That's the testimony that our lives should show. The, the next thing I want to show you right before we leave is John was not alone in his testimony. God himself, the Father and the Spirit, testify to the Son. It says, verse 21, Now when all people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Understand that God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit testify to who this Jesus is. The Holy Spirit himself testified, yes, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. He descended upon him. And in other gospel, Matthew, uh, John said, uh, there's the one right there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, because God told me that the one on whom the Holy Spirit descends, he will be the Messiah. And so John saw it. John knew it. It was told to him that the Holy Spirit will descend upon the one who is the Messiah. And that's exactly what happened. But more importantly than that, even more importantly for us anyway, is that the Father speaks from heaven, and this is his assessment of who Jesus is. This is my beloved son, and in him, in you, he told his son, he's speaking to his son, in you, in thee, I am well pleased. Understand, he can never, God being a holy God, can never say that about you and I. Never. No matter how good you do, no matter how wonderful you are, he can never say, Jason, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. The only way that he can look at me and say those words is if I am in the one in whom he is well pleased. If I am in Christ, then he can look and say, in you, I'm well pleased. Not because he's well pleased with me, because he is well pleased with his son. And notice what Jesus did. Why in the world would Jesus submit himself to baptism? Remember John, what was John baptizing for? He was baptizing for repentance, for the remission of sin. Jesus didn't need to repent. He'd never sinned. Jesus didn't need remission of his sins. He didn't have any sins. He submitted himself to baptism. You can read this in, in some of the other gospels. He told John, John didn't want to baptize him. He said, I should be getting baptized by you. you I should. Jesus said, this, we're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He told, him, he told him, basically he was saying, I am going to be identified with these sinners. I'm going to take my part in line with these sinners. I'm going to represent these sinners. So yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be baptized just like they have to be baptized. I'm going to be baptized for the remission of my sins so I can identify with them. I can live the life that they live, therefore, without sin, of course. Therefore, I can stand in for them at the cross. And in them, God can say, the Father can say, I am well pleased because my son identified with you. My son took your place. My son paid for your sin. Understand today that he is, 
He's more worthy than you and I can possibly imagine. And our lives need to show that, that He is more worthy than all this junk in the world, that all these things that we're called, that we're being tempted to do or tempted to be, He is more worthy than it. He's more worthy than our own lives. John said, you know, Herod, you're, you're sinning. And he was ready, ready to die knowing that Jesus is more worthy. And he says, he says at the end, he says, I'm going to identify with them. But you and I need to understand that the only way that Christ will stand in your stead, the only way that the Father will look at you and say, this is my son, my daughter, in them I am well pleased, is if we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. There's still a judgment to come. Remember what John said. There's still a time when Jesus is going to bring his winnowing fork. He's going to bring his fan to the threshing floor and he's going to separate. He's going to separate those who are righteous and holy in Christ because of what he did and those who have refused to bow the knee to Christ and to trust in him. Which one of those are you today? Is Jesus standing in for you? Is your life giving a testimony that he is the most worthy? He is the king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. It's so easy to say. I can say it a million times a day. And y'all can all amen me when I say he is king of kings and lord of lords. But does your life demonstrate that he is king of kings and lord of lords? Does your life demonstrate that for you, in your heart, he is so much more worthy than anything this world has to offer, anything our own flesh desires. He is so much more worthy. That demonstrates that His Holy Spirit indwells you and has changed you. And if that is so, then He stands in for you at the judgment seat of the Father. And the Father can look at you and say, this is my Son, and in Him I'm well pleased. If you don't know Christ, you need to trust Him today because there's a judgment coming. And it's coming swiftly and quickly. The axe, John says, is at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not bear fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Examine the fruit of your life today. Lord, we love you and we thank you today for your, for your mercy.